I think most people don't understand that being an influencer isn't just, oh, I'm going to take a selfie while I make myself a coffee. That's Cassandra Bohe. To pay the bills, she works at a marketing agency in Los Angeles. But her real passion is her side hustle, posting about health and beauty products on Instagram. As influencers go, she's small time, but it's still a lot of work. Get the product, make sure I like the product, find places I want to take photos with the product, test for lighting, test for angles, take a million photos, go through a million photos, find the ones that are the best to post. If you look at Cassandra's Instagram page, you'll find one picture that's a stick of sunscreen lotion made by the company Beauty Counter. It's propped up in front of a sapphire blue lake in Banff, Canada. Yeah, so that was one of those times when I honestly truly did something for the gram. Um, We drove up to Banff, Canada, and they have these beautiful, gorgeous glacier lakes. I had the sunscreen that I actually just really liked. And so I saw this beautiful, distressed wooden log and put it on there, and I got the photo, and that became the money shot. Were you paid by Beauty Counter to post this photograph? No, I was not. Why would you post a photograph that looks like an advertisement if it's not an advertisement? It sort of mimics the way that an ad would have been, and it's a way for brands to see how I treat content. It's called fake SponCon, or fake sponsored content. It's an ordinary picture that's pretending to be an ad. And this isn't the only time Cassandra's done this sort of thing. She's posted fake SponCon of luxury hotels in Hawaii and of bikinis in glacial lakes. Your toes start to go numb within maybe three seconds, and you start to feel tingly. And it took me going in and out a few times with my sister trying different angles. Just like, okay, now go a little bit deeper into the water. Like, can you, do, can you go deeper? Basically, I couldn't stay in for more than 20 seconds. All this to make a pro bono advertisement for a bikini company. Maybe this doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but to me, it's sort of incredible. All my life, I thought that selling out was a point of shame. But Instagram has constructed a parallel universe where not only is selling out okay, it's cool, it's desirable. So desirable that people like Cassandra Bohe travel thousands of miles and risk hypothermia to post fake ads. It sounds dystopian, (laughs) but it's not. It's totally normal and I would argue necessary. The influencer phenomenon is real and it's worth taking very seriously. Are influencers just old-fashioned hucksters with better makeup and lighting? Or are they pioneers? showing us the future of commerce and of life online. For The Atlantic, I'm Derek Thompson. This is Crazy Genius. How did we get here? As I recall, when Instagram launched in 2010, no one envisioned it as a breeding ground for fake ads or any ads. When it first launched, it was really just like a photo feed. Taylor Lorenz is a staff writer at The Atlantic. She reports on influencers and social media. It was a place to kind of like post these artistic looking, heavily filtered photos, essentially. 
If Facebook was where you caught up with old friends, and Twitter was where you picked fights with strangers, Instagram was where you expressed your idealized self. An arty picture of your $20 avocado toast, a cinematic portrait of your silhouette in the Oaxacan sunset, Instagram became our collective fantasy scrapbook, as well as one of the most popular social media platforms in the world. And now it's morphed into this big, messy social network. It's photo, it's video, it's stories, it's captions. It's this whole other kind of world. As the platform grew, certain users began attracting followers in the hundreds, the thousands, even the millions. And they realized there was an art to their popularity. You have to be able to put yourself out there and create content every single day. You know, you have to be really good at connecting to people, responding to people, generating interest in yourself. And if they were good enough, followers wouldn't just watch them. They would try to be them, buy the shoes they wore, go to the restaurants they visited, be influenced. It's essentially somebody that you look to and you're like, oh, I see something of myself in this person, or this person is somebody who I want to be, I want to live this life, and they're kind of like telling you how to live it. As the follower accounts grew and the sponsorship deals began to roll in, this new class of influencers realized they weren't just regular people posting pretty pictures anymore. They're like a mini entrepreneur, kind of. They're almost like their own little startup. They're selling expertise. They essentially say, you don't need to waste time scouring the internet. I'm going to find the best things, and I'll tell you what to buy. I mean, these are people that are so hyper-knowledgeable in specific areas. Like what? Well, there's comment fluencers, there's patient fluencers, there's lifestyle fluencers, swim fluencers for the summertime, travel fluencers, tech fluencers. There's home fluencers. Um, what else is there? There's like... Beauty fluencers, it fluencers, music fluencers, kid fluencers, TikTok fluencers. <laughs> Give me a specific example. Okay, so I'll start with Danny Austin. Danny Austin is a lifestyle influencer. She'll do try on sessions and show like different clothing at different price points, um, you know, different home stuff, make travel recommendations. There's another woman who goes by the name Teggy French on Instagram. She's a mom and an influencer. You could call her a mom fluencer. Um, <laughs> I might not. <laughs> <laughs> she also essentially posts a lot about her lifestyle. She posted a lot about like maternity wear, what it's like living with a young child. She gives other young mom's advice and, and kind of like helps them live the life that she lives. These influencers who have really made it, how many followers do they have? There's influencers that have millions and millions and millions of followers. They've garnered such a big following that they've leapt into that celebrity realm. And then there are micro-influencers, so people with like, you know, as little as 5,000 followers. And they are very influential to a very small amount of people, but those small amount of people that connect with them are extremely hyper-loyal. So is being an influencer the sort of job that can make you a millionaire? Absolutely. A million times over. Influencers aren't the only ones seeing the potential. Early this year, Instagram announced a plan to supercharge the influencer economy. It would allow users to buy items influencers are recommending directly on the platform. Every time somebody clicked to buy some moisturizer or shoes from their favorite influencer, Instagram would get a cut. And the user wouldn't even have to leave the app. 
Instagram has made such a hard pivot. They have a new CEO, Adam Massari, um, who came from Facebook. And one of his main goals is just to monetize everything on Instagram. And so now Instagram is moving into shopping and they're trying to kind of like play middleman between these influencers and the brands. You wrote an article for The Atlantic saying that Instagram could be the mall of the future. How big do you think this could get? Massive. I mean, I cannot express to you how much money is moving around in this entire world daily. It's millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. The influencer industry is expanding and maturing. There are influencer talent agencies, influencer consultants, influencer metrics tracking companies. The industry as a whole could be more than $10 billion by 2020. And the culture of influence is expanding into other sectors. Casting directors now ask actresses about their Instagram followers. Publishing houses pay more for writers with a big social media presence. When influencers got started, they may have just seemed like a bunch of pretty faces. But now, influence is transforming the attention economy. It reminds me a little bit of when the internet came along. You know, there were so many people, we see all these old TV clips of people saying, oh, you know, this is just this random thing, or it's this niche thing, or weirdos are on it, to write online, even as a journalist. Like, you know, it used to be like, oh, well, you're just a blogger, right? Um, and then we saw how the internet kind of, like, changed everything. If influencers are Instagram's future, and Instagram is the most popular platform for young people, it's not an exaggeration to suggest that influencing could be the economic future of the whole social web. And if that's true, then the struggles of influencers are a preview of what life online has in store for all of us. Being visible means being vulnerable. By putting oneself out there, you open yourself up to the wider realms of hate and harassment that characterize so much of social life in the online world. What it's really like to be an internet entrepreneur after the break. Just know that your value has existed before Instagram and that it will go far beyond anything that you ever do or accomplish within social media. In May this year, over a thousand people gathered at an influencer conference in Austin, Texas, called Mom 2.0. Brands are not in the business of making your dreams come true. Your job is to make your dreams come true. Most of the attendees were moms, trying to build their audience and looking for advice. Um, this is our first time at Mom2, um, and it's been a huge success. And it's probably one of the bigger conferences that I've been to. There's, I think, over, what is it, 1,100 um, attendees, and over half of them are new. You know, a 1,000 brave women, <laughs> all willing to put themselves out on the line to try something new. What we found at the conference was not what I expected. Not a bunch of aspiring Bella Hadids or Kendall Jenners with personal trainers and agents. Instead, there were people from all over the country, small businesswomen, looking to create something meaningful. And yes, make money at the same time. 
I'm Jansen Bradshaw, and my handle is Everyday Reading on Instagram. I'm Miranda Anderson, and on Instagram, I'm Live Free Miranda. Hi, my name is Rory Lasansky, and my Instagram is M Contemporanea. I'm LaShawn Wilkes. Uh, my Instagram is LaShawn Wilkes, my name. My name is Nusrat Khan. Um, I have a lifestyle blog called Coffee and Sweats, and it's a blog where I talk about my life as being a stay-at-home mom. My name is Danielle Davies. I'm a co-founder of Moms Running, which is a company that trains moms to run for office. My name is Summerlin Davis, and I have two websites, DirtyFloorDiaries.com and SummerlinDavis.com. When I started getting into this work, it was to alleviate postpartum depression, so I never came into it thinking that there was a possibility to make money. The business side of it wasn't natural to me. There are legions of people who see social media as a sort of springboard to a future career where they can get paid to do what you love. Brooke Aaron Duffy is a professor of communications at Cornell University. She's interviewed scores of influencers and become one of the top academic experts on the subject. She says these conference attendees are part of a much larger trend. People everywhere trying to build their own brands. I teach a class of 150 undergraduates, and I asked them recently, um, how many of you want to be an entrepreneur? And I would say three-quarters of them raised their hand. And there was research that came out about a year ago that said something along the lines of kids and young teenagers said their top career choice is to be a YouTube content creator. People are looking for a career that allows them to find meaning. Influencers are independent. They're entrepreneurial. They're following their passions and creating value. In a certain light, influencers are pioneers of a new American dream. But Brooke worries that this new dream isn't a safe career choice. It's fraught with economic and emotional challenges that striving influencers might not see, for three reasons. First, while anyone with a smartphone can theoretically become an influencer, there's no guarantee they'll succeed. I see this very much as a winner-take-all system. There's a handful of stars, but the rest of the people are toiling in hopes that they rise up the food chain. But very few actually make it. It's, it's the promise of making it that maintains this structure. Second, those who struggle in this job won't be able to fall back on traditional labor protections. Individuals are no longer working at the same place of employment for decades or even years. They no longer have employers who are providing benefits and paid training and time off. And they no longer have the sense of stability that came with a career throughout much of the late 20th century. Instead, we're amidst this incredibly precarious career economy where people are working gig to gig and contract to contract. Third, as glamorous as the job can appear, most people don't understand how hard the work can be. Your job is bound up with being hyper-visible and making sure people see the lifestyles and the images and the content you're creating. But so much of the work is concealed. It's rendered invisible both socially and economically. The work of staging a scene, of shooting content, of editing this, it's very much like what the advertising and media industries have long done to, say, create a, a magazine photo spread. Except it's just one person. 
Exactly. It's one person who is independently responsible for the production as well as the promotion of this. You're required to engage with followers, engage with audiences, engage with potential advertisers. The work itself is difficult. Then there's the audience. I've been struck in my research by the extent to which influencers have to deal with hate and harassment as part of their everyday lives. For women and other marginalized populations, being visible means being vulnerable. There are communities of anti-fans who spend their days critiquing the parenting practices and the images and the content portrayed. A lot of the attacks focus on their partners, their families, their children, and even their mental health. We heard about just this problem from attendees at Mom 2.0. I'm Jen McClellan, and I'm from Plus Mommy and the Plus Mommy podcast. I support plus-size people, and as a plus-size woman myself, like the online bullying and trolling has been horrific. My name is Tiffany Reese, and I am based in California. I think people misunderstand how hard it is to deal with criticism as an influencer. I think people can, until you've experienced it firsthand, it's really hard to understand how much that can emotionally, like, mentally wear on you. I still struggle with that. Even if you avoid the trolls, living life in front of a camera for the purpose of selling stuff to audiences requires a constant balancing act between the person you are and the person you want audiences to see. My name is Ashley Marie, and my blog is Ashley Marie, really creative. Do I share the good and the pretty of my life on social media? I do. Do I hide all the bad? I don't. I share reality. When my kitchen's a mess or when I've dropped a cheesecake or when something bad's happened, I share all the imperfection, but I don't go to the level of personal. I don't share what's going on in my children's life. For me, that's been the dividing line. My name is Jill Krause. I think authenticity at the end of the day is more important than anything because at the end of the day, the people who stick around and have genuine, authentic engagement and conversations with you, that's the most valuable part of what you do online for other brands. There's a lot of pressure that comes from upholding this brand image. The reality of life is that people grow and change and go through different life stages. But what happens when You have built an audience based on a particular image of you, based on your self-branded image. I interviewed one woman who talked about the challenges she faced going through a divorce because part of her successful Instagram image was the family that she portrayed in front of the camera. And so how do you deal with the realities of life when you always have to think about staging an idealized persona? Earlier, I asked if influencers were for real. That one's easy. Of course they are. If Instagram is the mall of the future, influencers will be the anchor stores of that digital mall, the Macy's and Sears of the social media superstore. But there are harder questions, deeper questions about this world, which we're only beginning to understand. Does an obsession with authenticity come at any cost? When we win an audience online, do we lose a part of ourselves? Here's Taylor Lorenz again. 
it's so hard because people can see through it so easily. You know, if people feel like there's just even one tiny thing off where you don't really resonate with them anymore, they can unfollow and follow somebody else that is, you know, there's a million people right behind you. So it's it's very hard and there's not a lot of room for error and you need to make sure that you're connecting with um, a bigger and bigger and bigger audience. So it's much harder and harder to resonate with millions of people and stay true to yourself while meeting all of their needs. In other words, to succeed as an influencer ironically means to allow strangers to influence us. I know the feeling. At the top of the show, I poked fun at Cassandra Bohe for posting fake ads. But in the bigger picture, there is nothing fake about telling the world how we want to be seen. I do it all the time. In my life online, I am constantly concerned about how my work is received, how my articles and podcasts perform, whether my tweets get any attention. I hope for praise and take criticism very personally. Like so many of the influencers that Brooke spoke with, I've made a conscious decision to merge my identity, my work, and my online life. And I bet you have too. So, We scoff at influencers, call them silly, vain, superficial, but they're just the most prominent members of the world you and I are living in. Online, we all advertise the people we want to be. The only difference is that some of us are getting a check. Crazy Genius was produced by Patricia Jacob and Jesse Brenneman, with help from Kevin Townsend and additional reporting by Caroline Covington. David Herman is our engineer. Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme song and all the music in this episode. Special thanks to Susan Scafidi. Catherine Wells is the executive producer of Atlantic Podcasts. Adrian LaFrance is our executive editor. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm Derek Thompson. A quick programming note, we'll be off next week. Our next episode will air on June 20th. See you then. Listener.